again, it goes back to how you organize the assets. You need to be able to present the songs themselves, your lyrics written out, your catalog organized in the database in such a way that it's very tight, cohesive and organized. And you can just give it to somebody and say, here, is organized in such a way that they can literally just, you know, look at a spreadsheet, let's say, look at all your songs that could be categorized if you think you write in different styles, for instance. Don't have to hunt for anything. Don't have to search for anything. It's all presented in a certain way. It's easy to get lost in today's music industry with constantly changing technology and where anyone with a computer can release their own music. But I'm going to share with you why this is the best time to be an independent musician and it's only getting better. If you have high quality music, but you just don't know the best way to promote yourself so that you can reach the right people and generate a sustainable income with your music, we're going to show you the best strategies that we're using right now to reach millions of new listeners every month without spending 10 hours a day on social media. We're creating a revolution in today's music industry, and this is your invitation to join me. I'm your host, Michael Walker. All right, so I'm excited to be here again with my friend Kevin Williams. Uh, Kevin is the chief community officer for Session Wire, which is a software tool that it's super cool. It helps artists and producers to collaborate on sessions remotely so that you can get high quality recordings uh, from around the world with top level producers, even if you know there's like a global pandemic or there's something preventing you from getting together in person. Super cool. Uh, I've been featured on CBS, NBC, The Verge, The NAMM Show. I've worked with uh, award-winning multi-platinum production teams with artists like Madonna, David Bowie, Travis Scott, and Shawn Mendes. And today, um, yeah, we had him on, on the uh, podcast in the past. So you should go, like, totally go check that out if you haven't yet. It's a great interview. But he had the, another piece of really like super valuable um, wisdom to be able to share with you. And so we wanted to bring him back on here to talk a little bit about um, this other side of the music industry that he has a lot of experience in, which is um, really about how do you get a publishing deal for your music? And what are the biggest mistakes or challenges that artists make when it comes to, to collecting their assets and, and really getting a publishing deal at the end? So, Kevin, thanks so much for coming back on here and excited to talk today. Uh, pleased to be here. Great to be here. I just got to correct you on one thing. Some of those credits, Madonna, Sean Mendez, I, I can't take credit for those, but but that's good. Appreciate the, the shout out there. The other thing I oh. just wanted to, it's all good. The other thing I wanted to say was that, uh, yeah, the, the, the topic here is going to be really fun to talk about for me, but also I wanted to just point out that, yeah, I'm, I am, you know, one of my companies is session wire, of course, but my other company, my entity here is music mentor group. So a lot of what I'm going to talk about with you this morning on artist development and that process of singing and sing, singer songwriters and, and their development will be more related to the music mentor group than it really is the session wire. Although I use session wire for all of those sessions as well. Just to clarify. Awesome. Yeah, th right. Thank you for, for the clarification. And, okay. and uh, you know, for just also, also to like to double clarify as well with uh, music. Ment so, uh, so people who are listening to this right now might hear music mentor and, and think that, you know, we, we have our uh, music mentor program as well. That, that's sort of about interviewing yeah. mentors. And um, so it's a different music mentor group, but also, same idea, um, just different kinds of uh, focal points and different types of mentorship and super awesome. So uh, great. So specifically talking about that that uh, problem of you know, figuring out how do I get my songs you know, ready for a publishing deal? How do I get a publishing deal in the first place? What would you say are some of the biggest um, challenges or mistakes that you see musicians struggling with when it comes to you know, getting a publishing deal? All right, well, if, you, if we start from the beginning, uh, it's about organization of your songs. 
and we'll just from now on call it your catalog of songs. And, and really, to keep it real simple, it's about your volume of how many songs you write. Um, there's a misconception, I guess, with maybe people who are new to this process that, like if I say, for instance, if I connect with somebody and say, how many songs have you got that you can actually play and perform if you're a singer songwriter? And, you know, they'll go, oh, lots. And I go, what's lots? Oh, five, maybe six. <laughs> and I go, that's not lots. Lots would be, you know, dozens more than that, for instance. So I think that concept is lost. It's not just lost on new singer-songwriters. I think even on experienced singer-songwriters in that sense, they don't realize that to, to some degree, it's a numbers thing. Like if you write a hundred songs, in those hundred songs, 5% of them are likely to be ex extraordinary songs possibly, but not in five songs, that percentage will actually have a chance. Just think of it that way. So volume of songs is a huge issue. And uh, the other part of that I would say that goes hand in hand with it is what what state are your songs in? Like, are they, are, could you perform them? If you got up in front of a group of people, you're a singer songwriter, you play guitar, maybe piano, like that kind of thing. How many could you actually just sit in a, you know, and do a little small, you know, concert, for instance, whatever it is, like a, it could be a podcast, it could be whatever. How many could you actually play? And that's different than maybe dozens of ideas for choruses, for verses, for hooks, just ideas. Mm -hmm. And until all those ideas are organized enough into a cohesive thing that you can call a song, they're, they're just little ideas. They're not really useful unless you can have somebody help you sort of organize that aspect of it. So let's say hypothetically, Michael, you had 10 songs and you and I started to work. And I said, okay, you can actually play those 10 songs. You go, yeah. I, I, let me hear them. I would actually record you doing it because I'd like to hear them side by side. And then I'd say, if how many other ideas for choruses and verses and hooks and whatever? I'm not trying to say every song has to have the same composition, but it, what little ideas have you got floating around? And you go, you got lot. I got lots of ideas. Okay, well, where are they? What are, are they in little like notebooks? Are they on your computer? Is it like where are they? And that brings up another subject singer-songwriters aren't necessarily very, very organized in where they put all of those pieces that I'm alluding to. And they might be all over the place. So there's that aspect of it. And then there's the idea of having a coach or a mentor that can you can bounce ideas off of with all of that and say, okay, let's, let's go through the songs that you actually can play through. Let's organize them and type out all of your lyrics properly so that we can see them and work on them together and you know assimilate what you're trying to say maybe there's a story in there was the story cohesive were you telling the story in the wrong order like just go through these things and then start to say prioritize how do we organize those in a better way and what do we organize them into like what is the the vessel or the container that has these things in so i'm, I'm trying to throw a lot of things here at you really fast but that's the, kind of the gist of it so maybe to tie up just this question, if I'm not going on too long here, is let's, I'll give you two extremes of, of a singer-songwriter that, that might be struggling with the very thing I'm trying to explain. One would be, one extreme would be, this person just can't finish one song because they can't let it go. It will never be good enough. No matter what I do, it's, it's just not good enough. And I can't say it's finished, so I'm stuck. That's one extreme on one side. The other extreme is, person has hundreds and hundreds of ideas and they're floating all over the place and they can't 
organize them in a cohesive way to turn them into something that is a song. So they've got an awful lot of maybe brilliant ideas, but they're little tidbits with no cohesive organization. That's one, that's the other extreme. And then I can tell you that this, this is a problem with seasoned songwriters to organize themselves this way. They really need to have someone to coach them and rein them in and find some balance in all of that. So that's kind of at the heart of what you're asking is how does that work? Because at the end of the day, if you are a singer songwriter and you really want to do maybe find homes for your songs through publishing, and you also want to perform them or one or the other, it doesn't really matter. But if you really do want to organize yourself so you can present yourself to a publisher, then especially you have to get organized. So how do you do that? So that's kind of what is at the heart of what you're asking me. Mm. That's so good. Yeah, there's there's a lot of value bombs to to disassemble there. Yeah. So one uh, one point that you made that I feel like is so important that is overlooked a lot of the times is just the quantity, like having as many songs as possible, and how out of those hundred songs, you know, you're probably gonna have you know at least a few of them, like five of them that are extraordinary that, you know, make up for the other 95. If 95 of them flopped, well, five of them, it would kind of carry you forward. And just like that 80, 20 rule in general, yeah, such a very much magical, so. magical rule. Um, and it sounds like what one thing you're describing too is just about, you know, taking your creativity and taking your, your music and your songs and you know, turning them into assets, like turning these ideas, these loose kind of ramp, like these things and, and constructing them, positioning them, packaging them so that they become an asset, mm -hmm. um, which is a, a really, really like valuable mindset to even just get, you know, in the, the habit of, you know, seeing the world is like, how can I package these resources in a way that's valuable? How can I, you know, how, how do I create assets? Um, super cool. And the, one uh, quick example that I remember hearing this, this story that's super relevant to what you're explaining with the, you know, the quantity versus getting wrapped up and trying just to make the perfect song, like one song and spending all of your time trying to get this one song perfect versus just writing, you know, a hundred songs and choosing like the best five was, uh, and I'm probably going to butcher this story a little bit because I don't remember the exact details, but you could probably Google it and find it. But basically there was a study that a, like an art teacher did where they had their class and they divided them into two sections and they were making pottery and one of the halves the teacher said basically you have one chance to make the perfect um the perfect pot and you know you can rework it you can re-sculpt it but there's one one pot and you know you're gonna get graded on the quality by the end of it and then for the other half they said you can like make as many as you want. You can make as many as you want, and they can all be crappy, but um, we'll choose, you know, your best, your best one at the end, the best quality one. And at the end, what they found was like by far the side of the class that created as much quantity as possible ended up creating the best quality uh, pottery because they had more practice, more experience. They had, you know, kind of released more and learned through the, for the process of iterating versus yep. the one that was just trying to get it all perfect from the start, which yep. again, I probably, there's probably pieces of that that I got oh, wrong, perfect. but, but that's a really good ex example to showcase what you're, what you're just saying. No, it, it's, it's perfect because that's exactly it. The iteration and the learning process and you move on. And I know so many people that I remember in my career, Brian Adams was a master at that. 
He didn't get hung up and getting stuck on. He just moved on, learn from that, move on, learn from that, move on, learn from that, move on. And that's hard to do because it, they become really personal to you. I really want it to be great. So I can't let go. Well, you, you got to get over that. Just move on and learn by the process. Now, if you can have someone help mentor you, that can accelerate that process because, you know, it's like anything else. Somebody, if you go to a gym, I guess, I mean, I, I haven't had this happen to me, but if somebody is helping you or work out, it's feedback and you have somebody that knows what they're doing and that helps you to learn and move through that process. It's exactly like that. And it's not like you have to write a lot of songs for the sake of writing a lot of songs and don't care about them. That's not it either. You care about each one. Each one is your baby and you care about it. You want to move on, but you have to move on or, or else you won't learn. And that's a key part of it. The, the other weird thing about people now, and I think this was even from our generation was a problem is people will start to dive in and want to do a demo and spend a lot of money with a studio or a producer or something way too prematurely. And if anything, I, I, that's just, first of all, it's a waste of money, in my opinion. I'll accept it's my opinion. If you want to start spending money on recording, you need to be organized to such a degree first, which is work and discipline and time. And that's not really gratifying. Like I went into the studio and I got this demo done and oh, it's amazing. You get to hear yourself. Well, sorry. It's just, I personally think there's not a lot of benefit to that. For me, if I want to listen to somebody's music, and I can really evaluate their, their singing and their songwriting as an, as a, as an asset in the way we're, we're talking about. I need to hear all of the songs that they are capable of playing side by side without any distractions. Like for instance, if you came to me and said, hey, Kevin, I got these 20 songs. That'd be pretty good. 20 is at least something. I personally think I've never seen this in a textbook, but I know people that I respect and I've brought it up with them, never seen this written down. Where's the magic number where you've got a catalog that's big enough, someone will take you seriously. And for whatever weird reason, it's 50 songs. And I don't know, could be 100, could be 10. I, I don't know, but for whatever weird reason, 50 seems to be this magic number. Somebody will take you seriously. How many songs you got? Well, I'm a little over 50. Well, that's pretty serious. So let's just say that you've got a bunch of songs and I wanna hear your songs. Well, the, what I don't wanna hear is all your songs produced by different people recorded in different times at different situations. I would just rather hear your, your songs in a very raw, unadulterated presentation. For instance, if you're a singer songwriter that can play acoustic guitar and sing, I wanna hear your 20 songs, just you with a microphone in front of you. No studio treatment, nothing. Just put the microphone where it picks up your voice and your guitar, mono, I don't care. Put, make it stereo if you wanna make it nicer, sounds nicer, but it doesn't matter. But I want to skip through all the songs you've done side by side and hear your progression through your songs. I'd like to know what was the first one, what was the 20th one, and what happened in between. And here, if you can hear your progression as a songwriter moving forward. So that's a key thing for me anyway. And I know a lot of people that I respect and trust, they will say that's true. You're distracted by all the different recordings and they don't really help me. There's a, there's a kind of an instant gratification that, you know, us as human beings have, and we just want to get to that magic place faster. But for some things, there's a certain level of discipline that's required to be able to do any craft properly, whether it's audio engineering, music production, singing, you know, your, yourself as a performer, your songwriting, all these things, they all are a craft. And they're, 
you can fast track them all. You, you can try to fast track them the best you can, but ultimately they take time and effort and concentration and discipline to really be great at them, right? So for me, that building that catalog is all that process. Very quickly here, I'll tell you that I've done this with a lot of bands over my career, is that I will tell them that. And I will say, because I've played in lots of bands in my career, and I'll ask them, what is your favorite song when you guys play as a band live? And, and not always, but usually always, this is what comes up. I'll say, what, you, how many songs do you guys play live? Oh, we got like a set of... 15 to 20 or whatever it is, okay? What is your favorite song? And typically what everybody will say in a roundabout way, once you get it out of them, it's the most current song you just as a band can play. And, and it's, it pretty well comes up this way, which is interesting. So let's say you've got song number one, song number 20. And song number 20 in your rehearsal space, you just barely get through it without screwing up. Obviously you could play it way better. But the energy that's embedded in that performance, the first time you can all play through it at the same time, is phenomenal. Because it's new, it's fresh, it's exciting, it's your newest song. So that's why it's your favorite. But it doesn't mean it's your best song. It just means it's the one that you as a band playing right now have the most energy attached to. Now, if I listen to those 20 songs of that band, like in the most raw condition, just like I said, a microphone in a rehearsal space, play all 20 songs. I'd like to hear all your songs that way so I can skip through them really quickly and hear what you've done from song one to song 20. And I might pick out song number three. That's your best song. And they'll go, oh, number three. And they don't, you don't play it with that energy anymore because it's an older song, but it might be your best song. Mm. Now, I don't know if any of that made any sense, but that's kind of how it works just so you know, it's just about the energy and the excitement and which songs you're playing. If you can play all 20 with the same energy and excitement, that's the way it should be, but it not necessarily in a real world will it be like that, right? So that's I like to be able to go through all these songs and listen to them and then go, really, what are the best songs in that group? And again, if you had 20, that'd be certainly better than 10. If you had 50, that'd certainly be better than 20 and so on and so on. The singer-songwriters that have made the biggest impact in our, in our industry, they just, they live and eat and breathe songwriting, and they just love writing more and more songs, and they just get better and better at it. I should also add, I'm not trying to be a snob about what the song itself, when it's successful, has to be either. Like, I know there's a lot of people who, you know, in my career have talked about a hit. What's a hit? You know, what's a radio friendly hit? It's not even, there is no radio anymore. What is a hit even anymore? Well, a lot of people just think it's, and it can be, it's an intentional way of writing a song that isn't so much about the song itself as a great song giving back to anybody. It's just designed to hit certain marks that will make it successful. So it sells. I'm, I'm not, by the way, trying to promote here. That's how you should, you know, design your songwriting. I mean, I honestly think if someone writes a really great song and it turns into something that the masses love, it's either very deliberate in the way I'm describing, or it's just that's the way that person writes. And it just happened to hit the right note with, with the masses. And no one's trying to intentionally craft a song that's a money-making song. It just is. And that's okay. Like, if you happen to write songs the masses love, and they're amazing songs, and they turn into so-called hits, Wow, that's pretty darn cool. 
but to try to deliberately do it, that's a, that's a different conversation I won't dive into here. I'm not, so I just, for people listening, I'm not trying to promote that you intentionally sit down and write songs so they become, you know, hits or money-making endeavors. I mean, you would hope your, your music makes you money. That's a good thing. But I'm not trying to advocate that's why you do it. You should write songs because you love songwriting. All right, let's take a quick break from the podcast so I can tell you about a free special offer that we're doing right now exclusively for our podcast listeners. So if you get a ton of value from the show, but you want to take your music career to the next level, connect with a community of driven musicians and connect with the music mentors directly that we have on this podcast, or if you just want to know the best way to market your music and grow an audience right now, then this is going to be perfect for you. So right now we're offering a free two-week trial to our music mentor coaching program. And if you sign up in the show notes below, you're going to get access to our entire Music Mentor content vault for free. The vault's organized into four different content pillars. The first being the music, then the artist, the fans, and last but not least, the business. When you sign up, you'll unlock our best in-depth masterclasses from a network of world-class musicians and industry experts on the most cutting-edge strategies right now for growing your music business. On top of that, you'll get access to our weekly live masterminds where our highest level modern musician coaches teach you exactly what they're doing to make an income and an impact with their music. Then once a month, we're gonna have our Music Mentor Spotlight Series. And that's where we're gonna bring on some of the world's biggest and best artist coaches and successful musicians to teach you what's working right now and one of the most amazing parts is that you can get your questions answered live by these top level music mentors. So a lot of the people that you hear right here on the podcast are there live interacting with you personally. So imagine being able to connect with them directly. On top of all that, you'll get access to our private music mentor community. And this is definitely one of my favorite parts of music mentor and, and maybe the most valuable is that you're gonna have this, this community where you can network with other artists and link up, collaborate, ask questions, get support, and discuss everything related to your music career. So if you're curious and you wanna take advantage of the free trial, then go click on the link in the show notes right now and you can sign up for free. Uh, from there, you can check out all of the amazing content, uh, connect with the community, and sign up for the live masterclasses that happen every week. This is a gift for listening to our podcast for the show. Um, so don't miss it out. Go sign up for free now and uh, let's get back to our interview. Mm. Yeah, th thanks for clarifying. And, and yeah, th I think what you're touching on is it's kind of a delicate um, conversation for uh, for us as artists is sort of that mm -hmm. the, um, the balance of writing for ourselves and writing for our artistic expression yep. and also wanting to be successful and wanting to be commercially successful and kind of how do we balance that and and i think a big fear for you know a lot of artists is that we might you know uh, be seen as quote-unquote selling out or inauthentic yep. or lose our artist's integrity which doesn't necessarily have to be the case just because you know you're also trying to be commercially successful right a lot of yep. times you know it can you can you can you can have your cake and <laughs> you can eat it too right um, but, uh, well, you're, you're, so much, Michael, yeah. you're, you're absolutely right. And it is a sensitive subject. So I think people just need to be clear on what their outcome and intention is supposed to be. If at one extreme, all you do is write music to make money for no other reason. You want to figure out the craft to such a degree that, that, that it doesn't matter to you from an artistic place. It's about, it has to be, you know, have a monetary successful value to it. That's one extreme. The other is a complete polar opposite. I don't care if it ever makes money. It's just this Nirvana place that I go to and I love my music and I hope other people do, but if they don't, it doesn't matter. And there's everything in between. I would say whatever place that you pick within that extreme, just be honest with yourself. It's okay. 
I want to balance of those things in exactly the same way that you described. Just, but be honest. Don't tell yourself that you're all this artistic person when in truth, you're not being honest. And it's much more of the, I need to make money from it part. Because I've seen that with people too. Just be honest. And, and that's fine. And if you happen to write songs that are popular to the masses and that they seem to be kind of, you know, skewed to that one side, but that's what you write. That's how you sound. That's who you are. True to yourself, true to your heart. That's fine. That's great. Mm-hmm. Mm, absolutely yeah it seems like there are a lot of cases where the same it's kind of like we all are a big block of ice and if you kind of like chisel it out then you can make this you can make something beautiful and you can make something like you know commercially viable intentionally make something commercially viable but also make sure that it's in alignment and it's congruent with who you are and your artistic expression but you're you're, you can kind of balance those two right Um, well said that's exactly it yeah Sweet. I, I love conversations like this. I mean, I think songwriting is so, so at the core of, you know, who we are as musicians and so important. So, I, you know, I always appreciate being able to have a conversation with, with someone like you. Um, so uh, let's dive a little bit deeper into really one of the main um, things that we wanted to, to dig into was how to create uh, assets and how to prepare the songs, prepare your catalog so that you have something valuable and that you're prepared to be able to get a publishing deal. So maybe we could go into, are there any other like big mistakes or common mistakes or challenges that songwriters run into when it comes to, um, you know, getting a publishing deal? Well, again, it goes back to how you organize the assets. Um, if you have, you need to be able to present your assets, the songs themselves, your lyrics written out, your catalog organized in the database in such a way that it's very tight, cohesive and organized. And you can just give it to somebody and say, here, if it's a publisher, they will look at it and not go, well, that's not a form that I'm comfortable with. It has to be in such a form that they will look at it and recognize right away that I don't have to, I wish it was like this when the person gave it to me, or I wish it was like this. And, and, and that is a huge part of it. Obviously, if you work with a mentor who's able to help you with your songwriting in a coach type feedback way, by the time you've got your catalog organized, theoretically, the bulk of what you've worked on, if you're going to present it to anybody, is organized in such a way that they can literally just, you know, look at a spreadsheet, let's say, look at all your songs They could be categorized if you think you write in different styles, for instance, that's, that's okay. Doesn't mean you write in one style, maybe you, you like a lot of different styles, but you've organized them in such a way. And then the person listening or the person viewing wouldn't be able to listen to those demos in such a way they can say, this is song number one, here's the demo for it, here's where it's located. Don't have to hunt for anything, don't have to search for anything, it's all presented in a certain way. Even the lyric sheet itself, if you type your lyrics out for people, there's a certain form to it, a visual sense to it, that's just easy to look at and consistent. So if you've got you know, magic number 50 songs, let's say, or 10 or 20. I just, I wouldn't suggest you go to a publisher with not enough songs. Personally, I just, you got a shot at somebody, they got their attention and now you're going to give them not enough, you know, wait, get more and then do that. But if you go to them and, and they can consistently look through all of your lyrics for all of your songs and hear each of the songs in a non distracting way where they hear the song, not how it was produced, not what it might sound like in the studio, just the song. At the end of the day, the songs are the songs. And if the songs are great, yeah, 
the production will enhance that, will bring these things out, but they aren't going to make a crappy song better. They'll just, you know, the song needs to be strong in itself, really in most genres, not every genre, but most genres. So the form is, an, is in, and what it's delivered to somebody, in, to a publisher, for instance, is important and consistent and something that's not, you know, you don't, you don't have to kind of read through the, between the lines to figure out what the presentation is all about. That would be the, the lyric sheets themselves, the song demos themselves, how they're organized to a spreadsheet of the whole catalog, all those things, real super uh, simple, tight, and easy to understand if you give that package to somebody. They don't have to, you know, question where is something or, you know, where, where if I play song number five, where is it? Like, it's just all organized. That's at the heart of that part that I think you're asking about. Mm, awesome. So, so it sounds like what you're saying is that once you have, you know, the songs recorded and you have at least, you know, 10, 20, 50 songs would be amazing as a kind of like a nice target. Then um, really the next step is making sure that you organize them so that it's as simple and streamlined as possible for the publisher um, as it can be. And so when they click on it, they don't have to search, they don't have to look around, they don't have to be confused. It's just all there in the spreadsheet. And so having a spreadsheet that has all the songs listed out along with like lyric sheets that are well presented and maybe the the style of song and some other, some other breakdowns is something that's going to be really, really helpful and improve your chances of getting, um, getting a good publisher for it. Yeah. And then the step after that then evolves into pre-production for the recording. Now, like, you might not have a budget. You probably won't have a budget to record that many songs. But if you've got that many songs to pick from, you could pitch those also to a producer who would you know, be interested in working with you that might also be able to pitch that to a publisher or is a publisher and a producer possibly. And if that happens, then the producer is then going to go to you and say, all right, you've obviously had somebody work with you on your songwriting, on the craft. And I can see that these, the organization, the song structure and the, the story that it's telling, if that's, you know, part of the deal as well. If all of that is organized in such a way that you can, I can tell, and I can tell if a producer, as a producer, that organization, if it's there, then I'm going to say, this is great work. Then I would pick up that for the recording portion of that. And I would have that to work with to be able to build the production of the actual demo or the recording. And, and this, this was a thing that happened in our generation, which is called pre-production. And you did that before you went into the studio. So you didn't waste a bunch of money in the studio unless you got a lot of money and a record label that was throwing money at it or, a, you know, an investor or something. You just can't afford to go in and try things out in the studio, like unless you're U2 you, you or something. I mean, that does happen, but not for the majority, the vast majority of people. So if you've got your songs in that, that state that we're talking about, then somebody can take it from there and be able to organize themselves in the recording process much better. Like I don't want, for instance, I don't really want to dive deep into a song while we're recording in the studio and start changing around the song structure and things, the arrangement, and maybe what is being said as far as the, the, the actual lyric in a certain spot. I mean, it happens obviously, but you try to avoid that. Like if there's a line and I'm coaching someone recording vocals. That's like a money line. It's like, it's the, you know, it's the main part, the thrust of the song. Maybe it's the hook of the song. Maybe it's just one line in a, in a verse, but it's like such an important, you know, line that comes, has to come out with energy and passion and intensity. Like if I'm producing that vocal, I need to know that's happening 
so I can help coach that person to get to that place. Mm. Like if a singer is singing a line that is so important, the most important line in the song, you better sing it like it's the most important line in the song. Because mm. if you don't, then it's not going to come across. Like mm. the weird thing about recording anything is there's magic in performances and somehow they get captured. And when they get captured, they, they've either had someone coach them very well or it was just in their heart to sing it or play it that way. And at least for me, when something is sung or played in a certain way that it's just extraordinary, I get a little rush up my spine. It's like, oh, there it is. And that's what we all wait for is that thing that happens. So how can you coach somebody to get to that line and say, you can't just sing it and, and, and oh, it's, you know, it might be perfectly in tune, might be perfectly as far as it's, 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 it's sitting in the, in the rhythm properly, anything, it could be perfect, but soulless. And if it's soulless and it's perfect, like who cares? Maybe it's not perfect, but you, you, you and I are listening to it going, oh my God, that was amazing. The, 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 the this is a weird way to say it, but sometimes the most lamest line in the world. Like, say I wrote a song, Michael said, this is, this, is my, this is my best song. What's it called? It's called, I Will Always Love You. That's the line, okay? Well, that's kind of how many times have people said that. Well, here's the weird thing. I could sing a song or a singer could sing a song with that line. I will always love you. Those are the lyrics, by the way. And somehow you and I listen to it and go, wow, <laughs> wow. <laughs> And we don't know why, because there's magic there, because something happened. Those are, the, those are the things we're missing in music, in my opinion, a lot these days. Not completely, but people have forgotten the magic, and the magic has to be there. It's, part, it's, 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 it's a huge reason of why we listen to music. We don't know it, but we go, wow, why is that song, you know, why is it affecting me this way? So I, I just know you have to go through these, these processes to get there. And if you're going to produce a vocal track, you really have to have, you, you, you can't not have lyric sheets and you can't not have gone through the work of wordsmithing that and the arrangement and all of that. So when you get there, it's just the delivery. You're not having to think through, maybe we should change this or something. You're just, it's the delivery. Make it happen. Tell the story, get people excited about that line. Why? Because you believe it in your heart and your gut. It has to come from that place. It's true for playing a guitar solo or anything. Play it like you mean it <laughs> somehow, some way. I know it sounds real simple and maybe even corny to some degree, but it's not. It's exactly the way it should be. Mm. I love it. No, it's, you're right. It's like the number, it's the most foundational part of it is the, the magic, right? Capturing that magic. And it's like the creative, the creative impulse, the creative energy, you know, that makes music so amazing right yeah um one thing that i would love to dive a little bit deeper into because i think it's so important and, and you've talked about it a few times but um this idea of you know mentorship or finding like the right the right guidance and the, the way i look at it is sort of like abraham lincoln famously talks about sharpening the saw right and the idea is that you know if you try to cut down a tree with a dual blade then you could spend so much time and energy just trying to cut down this tree. But if you took five minutes to sharpen the saw, then uh, counter to like it would be way, way faster. It would only take you know, minutes as opposed to, you know, maybe days. Yeah. But a lot of times people feel like, Oh man, I, 
I uh, don't have the time to sharpen my saw or I don't have the resources to invest into sharpening my saw because, you know, I need to, you know, I need to cut down this tree. And counterintuitively, it's, you know, it, it actually would make it a lot better. And that's one analogy I think that describes mentorship really mm-hmm. well. It's like basically sharpening the saw and, you know, writing a hundred songs, it's going to be a way different experience if you have what you're talking about with like that that guidance or that that feedback, that feedback every single song, so you can actually go deeper. It's like literally sharpening the saw after each you know, stroke of the of the. It's like a self sharpening <laughs> saw, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I would love to hear you talk a little bit more about that idea. And for anyone who's listening or watching this right now, what are some different options? Like how do they how do they find the right mentor? How do they build a relationship with that mentor um, to be able to you know, significantly reduce the amount of time that they need to take? Um, in order to be successful? Okay, well, first of all, my music mentor group, which we're kind of talking about here a little bit, it's musicmentorgroup.com, is a group of mentors from different disciplines. What I'm trying to do, and it's still in its very early stages, I believe in the mentoring process and people that I highly respect see the future of education as morphing away from the way that it's currently being not to say universities and colleges won't have a place, but the mentoring process just fits better with people. It's like at this point, taking say a university degree and it's a shotgun effect of everything in the music industry, I don't think is very useful. If you said I need a micro degree that targets me like a laser into a certain thing within the music degree in music industry as a degree, yes, that's kind of more the way that education is going. But I think mentoring is kind of the same thing, except you you learn by doing with people that have done that. Mm-hmm. So in my music mentor group, I have different mentors from diff- for different disciplines, for instance. So when I'm doing something, I might say, now I need to hand you off to this mentor because this mentor has expertise as a mentor within that aspect and that discipline of the music industry. Not that I don't, but I think that would be a better mentor for that particular subject. So the mentoring piece for me is the is really the future of where in I think in all walks of life not just the music industry where people are going to get the most amount of value in the same way you're saying because you can sharpen your saw the metaphor is very good because you don't have to waste time going well I I haven't done that but this person has like why why not model somebody who's done something and you know and then learn from that and absorb that information than trying to bang your head against the wall over and over again to get to the same place i mean mm-hmm. no matter how you look at it mm-hmm. the process of finding a mentor if, if you can is hugely important the problem is most of the time how do you find a mentor sometimes people are lucky they just know somebody or they offer it hey i'd love to mentor you or whatever but going out and hunting for a mentor is not the easiest thing to do because the type of person you might want a mentor, you might feel is unreachable. Like, how would I even reach out to that person? By the way, just reach out. Won't hurt. What's the worst that can happen? They'll say no, or they might go be glad to. So reach out. So in my music mentor group, I wanted to streamline that so people can access people easier without that fear of, well, what if I get a no? Well, the no's not the end of the world. Just try again. So I guess to, to quickly answer that part, um, you know, if, if you can find someone that you can, and it's, a, and it's also a trust relationship too. You have to trust the person cares about passing on that information to you. I kind of talk about our generation has this specialized knowledge that we were given and it's all over the place for a lot of us. Like, you know, for me, it's a lot of hats that I wear, 
not just one particular discipline, it's quite a few, but I have mentors that I know have much more of that, you know, more specific information and mentoring that I have than other things that I am good at, but maybe not as good as they're at. So at the end of the day, yeah, I mean, find a mentor and, and work with that person and build that relationship with that person. By the way, this is not something that's going to be, hey, I'll, I'll take a workshop for a, a month or something and then I'm done. Mentoring tends to be a relationship that's an ongoing thing, maybe for quite some time if you really want to do it properly. So I'm not sure if I answered everything you wanted in that one, but I tried. Yeah, <laughs> no, it was, it was perfect. Yeah, I, I agreed 100%. I think mentorship is something that's, you know, it's part, almost baked into our DNA you know, as, as humans. I think there's a reason that in every you know hero's journey or every great blockbuster movie there's this character that comes along that's like yoda or dumbledore or <laughs> you know it's it's the the mentor and they're there to help to help guide and and i think that there is there's something interesting too that i think all of us inside of us we have like two sides of the same coin where like we have this um like we need to find a mentor who can help us along our journey, along our path to achieve our goals. And also I think that we have it within us as well to help and pay it forward and to, to be a mentor for to help other people as well. And and it is so interesting to see just the state of of the world right now with the internet and like online coaching. And mm-hmm. I, it, I, my, um, I have so much respect and admiration for, for anyone like you that is you know tr- taking their wisdom taking what they've learned their experience and helping to you know alleviate ultimately alleviate suffering <laughs> alleviate suffering for other people to shorten the gap by you know like by sharing the lessons that you've learned through the time and energy and money that you spent um i think it's just it, there's like a really noble it's a noble cause and so i, I think that that um that idea of finding a mentor is so important. And there is an interesting quote too, something along the lines of, you know, when when the student is ready, the mentor appears. Yeah. Right? I, I love that quote. And I think you're so right that um, a mistake is thinking that that the people you want to connect with are unreachable, that you can never, you know, connect with, that they're out of, like you're not going to be able to get in touch and in some cases, sure, like if you reach out to you know, someone who's like the, the most successful in the world right now, it might be hard to get, to get a hold of them, but it certainly doesn't hurt to reach out to as many people as possible. And one other note alongside of that too, I think is we talk about this a lot um, on the podcast because we're interviewing a lot of successful people like like yourself and almost everyone speaks to this idea of approaching relationships from a providing value and, and, and contributing to the other person and thinking about that first and thinking about how can I you know serve, how can I provide value in this relationship, how that's been a key point of their success. And I think certainly when it comes to finding mentorship as well, you know, in any communication, if you're reaching out to someone new, um, start with like that focal point of like how can I how can I serve the person, how can I provide value? And I know a lot of producers and very successful people that if an intern comes along and says, hey, like I would love to learn from you and I'm willing to work for free. What, how can I serve? How can I help out? They're going to be like, sure. So we have X, Y, and Z that we could plug you into. Um, and that yeah. can be a great foot, foot in the door, right? To find a mentor. So it's absolutely possible to make those connections if you're proactive and willing to do the work. Yeah, totally. Well, I've got to wrap it up with you here pretty quick. 
So, and, and you're, you're just wanted to, to mention to yours, your thought about giving back. That's a huge part of it. And with hardly any exception that I can think of, all the people that I'm connected with, they love this idea. They want to give back. So it's not like this, this, man, I never really thought about it. Sometimes I've never thought about it, but you know, I think I would like that, but I, I never hear a negative. Now nah, I wouldn't be into that. Like anybody who seems to have the specialized knowledge in different disciplines wants to give back. So you you hit the nail on the head with that for sure. And, and yeah, just reach out to people for sure. Right. Absolutely. Well, hey, um, thank you so much, Kevin, for coming on here again and and sharing some of your some of your experience and wisdom. And uh, for anyone who's listening to this right now and would like to connect or reach out or learn more about uh, Music Mentor Group, what would be the best place for them to go to connect more? Uh, well, you go to the website, uh, www.musicmentorgroup.com, and there's lots of information there. Uh, some of the websites still under construction. Some of the services that will be there aren't in the menus, aren't active yet, but for the most part, you'll get the idea. You'll see the mentors that are currently involved there. Um, you can reach me at Kevin at mentormusicgroup.com. That's another email address. That's fine. And, uh, and, I, and I will do a free session with anybody that wants to connect with me just to walk them through what you and I talked about. And, uh, and, you know, no sales or anything. It's not about sales. It's just about building relationships with people. So very welcome to reach out to me there. Wow. That's super valuable. Yeah. I, mean, I would highly recommend that, um, that, you know, people take you up on that in terms of reaching out, building a relationship, building a connection. Um, so like always, we'll make sure to put the, the links in the show notes so that, um, you guys can, can dig in and, and learn more. And I think we're, we're also at some point we should totally sync up and I, I would love to, you know, do a presentation or a training or something for your music mentor group as, as well. Um, so you probably love uh, that. Yeah. If you're, if you guys <laughs> join music mentor group, then you'll probably hear a familiar voice or face in, in there at some point, but Kevin, thanks again. You're awesome. Appreciate you. And I'll talk to you again soon. It's always a pleasure, Michael. Look forward to another one. Maybe we'll see. Hey, it's Michael here. I hope that you got a ton of value out of this episode. Make sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our guest today. And if you want to support the podcast, then there's a few ways to help us grow. First, if you hit subscribe, then I'll make sure you don't miss a new episode. Secondly, if you share it with your friends or on your social media, tag us. That really helps us out. And third, uh, best of all, if you leave us an honest review, it's going to help us reach more musicians like you who want to take their music careers to the next level. The time to be a modern musician is now, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.